Welcome to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Player Engage podcast. Today's going to be a really exciting episode. Uh, I am joined by James Batchelor, the Editor-in-Chief for GamesIndustry.biz. I'm planning to talk about all the current news that's happening in the industry. James has got a front row seat for that, and he's got a great informative website that keeps people up to date. Uh, before we jump into it, I'll hand it over to James and say, James, you, welcome to the show. Anything you want to say about yourself? Uh, just Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, my name is James. I'm a journalist in the games industry. I've been entirely focused on the B2B side, the so the business side of journalism, the trade journalism, um, for about 17 years now. It doesn't feel that long, but apparently that's how long I've been doing it. That's awesome. And looking at the companies that you worked for, you were at Eurogamer and a number of other different publications and magazines. And I think there's a lot of cool things out there. And GamesIndustry.biz uh, is one of the first websites I'll usually open up in the morning when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the industry because, you know, there's a lot of good nuggets in different places. And where do you find a place that actually collaborates them all, puts them all in, in one place? And I think it's really uh, informative. How do you stay up to date in the current news cycle? Or obviously, there's a lot of news that comes out all the time recently in gaming. And it seems to always be some some sweaty week on what's going to happen here. But yeah. how do you always keeping a front row seat here? Um, honestly, it's a mix of trying to keep on top of my inbox, because the amount of stuff that comes into that, like just on a frequent basis. I, I had a holiday about a month ago and I got, I think it was 3000 emails in two weeks. So some of the news comes directly to my inbox, but also I kind of, I constantly have like a window open with, I use Feedly to just show like all the news that's going up on all the other sites to kind of just check that I don't miss anything. And I used to, before Elon ruined it, TweetDeck. TweetDeck is the per was the perfect way to see what people in the industry were talking about. So like rather than just you know, copying other people's homework from other sites, like, oh, hang on, a bunch of developers are talking about something that Unity's done. Right, what has Unity done? Let's look into this. So yeah, just constantly being on the internet is how I keep up with it. Yeah, that's a great point, right? Uh, Feedly is something I just recently started using. So I'm trying to wrap my head around which RSS feeds I want to uh, apply to and it's cool stuff um, before we get too far I also want to mention James is also now going to be able to add author to his list of uh, I think this is the first time author to a list of uh, achievements with his new book coming out the best non-violent video games which is fantastic because violent video games scare me but I see <laughs> you still play them but how, how did you get into that that idea of a book so that actually stems from something I've been doing as a side project for Blimey, about 10 years now. I run a Twitter account called Nonviolent Game of the Day. I'll try and give you the brief version. It, it sounds a little morbid, and I worry. I always worried about coming across sounding too casual, but it stems from the Sandy Hook shooting. After the Sandy Hook shooting, there was the usual blame going on video games and violent video games um rather than you know the killer's access to to guns it was well he's you know playing lots of violent video games therefore this must be what has you know propelled him to do this despite the fact that years and years of academic studies have failed to prove a link between violence in video games and violent actions of their players the just the, the debate about video game violence read its read its head again and um one group uh, from a now defunct website called Game of Fit Nation decided they would do a ceasefire, an online ceasefire, right? We're not going to play video game, violent video games for one day. We're going to stop playing violent video games to kind of show that gamers respect what's going on here. We don't all share this kind of love. We're not all dependent on video game killing. 
so yeah, they they did that as a kind of. I apologise, my phone has just been going off. I'll put right. it on. Like you said, you're a busy man. <laughs> they did this as a mark of respect to show that they understand what yeah, you know, like they understand the, the severity of the tragedy and to show that not not everyone is you know reliant on video game killing as their to, as their their leisure time. And I, it got me thinking because it's like well, just because they're not playing violent video games doesn't mean they're not playing video games. So I thought, I wonder what sort of games they would be playing. What what other titles you could play on a day if you want to take part of the ceasefire, but you do want to play games. And um, I started thinking about potentially putting a list together. And the more I looked into it, it's like, you know what? You could probably play a different non-violent game every single day. There's definitely going to be enough out there. And so I started compiling them on this Twitter account. And um, originally it was a Tumblr blog as well, but everyone seemed to miss the Tumblr blog, so I just stuck to Twitter. And um, I've got, I've actually got a database. Like, so again, like this goes back to staying on top of things. Like, um, any time a video a non-violent game is announced or shown off or it's demonstrated at an event or something, I add it to my database. My, um, <laughs> I say database. That's a really fancy word for a Google spreadsheet. And um, I've got, I think it's something like, I've covered about 1,200 plus games so far. I've got 3,600 left to go. And that's without going through the entire history of video games, because I've I've not scoured the last 50 years for every single non-violent video game. That's without the, you know, the mobile, I've barely kind of touched. I've, I've done some mobile games, but you think like how many match three games and idle clickers and so forth like it'd be impossible to like list all of those and more are being announced every week which is fantastic so yeah I, I, so that's something i do in my spare time and i i got to the point where it's like I, actually scrolling through a twitter feed looking for recommendations of non-violent video games is not a, a conducive way to find something you want to play uh i would love to do it as a book and fortunately a journalist i know chris scullion uh works with a publisher called pen and sword books who he does like things like the NES encyclopedia, the SNES encyclopedia. So like books are like, here's every game ever released for this format. And um, he was saying like, my publisher's interested in other gaming books. Does anyone have any ideas? I messaged him saying look, really interested in the idea of doing a non-violent game book. Do you think they'd be up for it? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think they would. So he put me in touch. They loved the idea of it. And the best non-violent video games is now available in uh, both the UK and Europe and in North America released a couple of weeks ago in North America. So go buy it. Awesome. Congratulations. And that's a great story as a, a father to a five-year-old and three-year-old who I'm excited to, who, who are playing video games. Now it's, it's always touch and go about which games we, we open up. It's just kind of like, mm. uh, do I really care if he sees that we play the Lego Marvels and you know, like blocks are exploding and it's like, all right, whatever. And then, I'm thinking about if I want to start up Call of Duty. I'm like, that's not a good idea for them to even watch it. So uh, I love the idea of just creating a, a database that has all this information that you can just basically, uh, is this game safe? Is this game? Like, mm. yeah, I'm trying to think of, uh, probably shouldn't go there with, with my mind, but like a good place you can go and just check your facts before starting a game so you know what you're walking into. Yeah, that's that was that, that was the aim. And it also like kind of hopefully helping people like kind of break out and try different games they wouldn't have done before. Like I, I, I say in the intro of the book, like I really hope people find that, you know, if you find a new favorite game, let me know. Cause I'd love it. If like people have a read and think, yeah, actually I wasn't going to play this, but this is brilliant. Why have I never played this before? So I want to kind of keep this topic top of mind. As I asked my, my question I have here was that this weekend, I think it was this weekend, right? You were at EGX uh, yeah. conference. Right? And one of the, one of the, uh, one of the shows or panels, that's the word I'm looking for, panels that you went to, I believe, was a pitch your game panel, which is always fun. I mean, it's something that we talk about here is like, hey, it's like a, 
uh, let's hear what indie developers are coming up with and see if we can help enable them to kind of step up and get the help that they need. And when the podcast we talk about focuses about the player experience and, and violence in the game is part of the player experience. And so is moderation and community and support. And we're seeing a lot more of that based on even what Microsoft announced a few weeks ago about, about kind of uh, the moderation in games. When you listen to someone pitching a game, do you listen to how, I guess, how they're handling violence in games or bullying or moderation games? Is that anything that's top of mind or is it purely story and gameplay that you're excited about? Um, no, I am, I am interested. I mean, I'm personally interested in seeing what people do other than combat as a core gameplay loop. I think there are so, so many more things that video games can do and already do. Um, hence, you know, the 3,600 games on my spreadsheet and the 300 plus in the book. I can never remember who said it to me, but one developer once said to me that um, the industry changed with Space Invaders because as soon as we knew that getting one pixel to fire another pixel at a third pixel and making that third pixel disappear, the instant injection you get of endorphins, the satisfaction of that, that put us on the, the road to well, let's make games that are about killing all of the things. And obviously, as you know, video games have, have become more sophisticated and more complex, like you know, they did much more graphically realistic version to this. You've seen games that really kind of revel in that. Um, the one I always think of is Bulletstorm, which gave you like you know, the points we're giving based on how stylishly you killed things. You know, the vast majority of games now are like a very kind of loot driven because it's all based on the numbers and the numbers dictate how well you can kill things. And so anytime a studio is coming up with a game that is not centered around that, is centered around like a very different kind of core loop, you know, um, plucking examples out of my head, like Heaven's Vault, the core loop there is translating ancient hieroglyphics and trying to understand the meaning. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, Journey, always absolutely classic. That game is just about traversal, about trying to get from one space you know, explore a space and trying to understand what happened around it. You know, moving out, overcooked, all those sort of things. Like, you know, people like frantically cooperating on some silly and perhaps impossible task. The rise of simulators, the, the stuff that's out there, like, you know, obviously journalists went nuts for Euro Truck Simulator 2, uh, you know, a good few years back. But like, you know, farming simulators huge. And what I love is like, the, sometimes I get press releases for like, there's stuff like, Mining and tunnel digging simulator, chemical spillage simulator, air traffic control simulator. These are all real games. And people, you know, they're out there. I played one at EGX, Space Trucker, and it's basically Euro Truck Simulator in space. And I played it for five minutes. I'm like, this is brilliant. Like, I'm really enjoying this. Like, I don't, I don't need to be swooping around and having dogfights and blasting space pirates out of the sky. I'm quite happy really struggling to park this floating cargo block within the designated area. It's a, I love that you say that. This weekend, I'm embarrassed about the amount of time I put into Starfield, just building outposts and getting yeah. one outpost to put the right minerals into another outpost, into another galaxy. It's just like, literally, I could do anything in this game, and I spent hours just building outposts. And it's this interesting concept of you creating a new mechanic, simulation being a type of mechanic that... that mm kind of triggers you and gets you excited to do something right get those endorphins going without having to make that one pixel disappear and i think you know as you're sitting listening to pitches from people is there any kind of concepts and probably this but like that that excite you like i'm sure you've you heard concepts about first person shooters and third person shooters and stuff it's like all right 
what's the exciting mechanic here? Are there any mechanics that, I guess maybe that's a question, any mechanics that you've seen coming out that excite you in the industry? I mean, I'm not on the receiving end of pitches that often. Like the, the pitcher games dev, dev panel yeah. was just, it was just a fun thing. I thought it'd be fun to like, let's get your complete random people yeah. off the show floor to pitch ideas to game developers like and see if they judge them. But some of the ideas were there really, were really cool. Like there was a uh, someone pitched like a pod racing game but you are robots and if you crash into each other all the components of your pod fall apart and you have to fight not fight but like you have to race to grab as many components as possible and put your cart back together and you could even steal the components like that's not something someone's working on that's just a really fun idea i think anything that's kind of a twist on a an established genre is is great fun um just really clever things that people do, like particularly in the first-person space. I think first-person games, you assume it's all going to be shooting. And then as soon as you change the actual verb of what you're doing, so Power Wash Simulator, everyone loves this. And it's like, you are shooting. It's a first-person shooter, but it just happens to be you're shooting you know, water instead of bullets, which is brilliant. Um, that uh, Lightyear Frontier that's coming out is um, you know, it's a mech game, but rather than the mech going around and killing things, it's a mech that farms and you're spraying water and using it to dig up stuff. Oh, there were the other examples. There was some great stuff. The, even if you just change the context, the one I liked was... Um, I always feel quite a little bit self-indulgent like giving this example, but please bear with me. Rainbow Billy and the Curse of Leviathan was a game it's a game developed by a, a Canadian indie called Mana Void. They read an article I wrote um, listing, you know, me trying to plug my non-violent games sort of stuff. I did an analysis of how many games at E3 2019 were non-violent. If you look at all the games that were um, shown off during the showcases and on the show floor, et cetera, how many were non-violent? It was something daft like 30% at the absolute most. Marnavoid read this article. They were working on Rainbow Billy as a kind of a proper traditional JRPG. And they read this and they realized, well, actually, yeah, there's, there is a lot of violence out there. Let's try and reframe what we've done. And they changed their game from, it's still turn-based battles like a JRPG. But rather than trying to whittle down the person's health bar and, you know, kill them you're trying to whittle down their depression or their anxiety or their anger etc and you're i think they, they if i believe rightly the the monsters you face are start monotone and you're trying to fill them with the color the colors of the the monsters in your party once you've done that you've kind of helped resolve their issue and you befriend them and then they join your party so you can use them in later battles mechanically it's still a jrpg it's still essentially turn-based battles but the context is completely different and not violent. I think that's really interesting. I love that concept. This is something uh, at Keywords, what we, we do recently is we have a lot of moderation teams built in. We work with a lot of moderation tools. And we always kind of previously talked about penalizing the people that are doing bad in video games, like bullying or, or anything like that. But rather than doing that, I said, we should, we should try and do a focus on rewarding the positive, right? I, I think there's more that comes out of rewarding the positive than always blaming the bad person, right? Mm. I mean, I'm sure you remember, and I remember back when GTA 3 came out years ago, right? I feel like that was the first big step of uh-oh, guns and games, violence and games. That That's at least the first thing that resonates with me because I remember what that was like, and it's still going on. But I think if we start rewarding good actions in games, people taking the time and highlighting that, it's like watching the news. The news is just a negative place mm. to be and watch. But when you see positive stuff in news, it gets you excited. Like, oh, there are good people out there. And I think rewarding the good in games, and I love the idea of, hey, instead of killing someone, you fill them with, different hope or you film with you take away like that's an awesome approach to keep doing what you're doing but kind of spin it in a way that is a more positive light 
Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I, I mean, the, the stigma about about violence in video games it's it's not going away, as you say. It's I feel like it's got better. I think mainstream acceptance of video games is getting better. It's now more, you know, like the the larger concern is things like you know in game spending and addiction and all this this sort of stuff. But I mean, it's been going for years. Like even even prior, I remember the the upset around GTA Three. But then obviously there was upset around, you know, the earlier GTAs. And even like before that, um, if I apologize, I don't remember the exact story, but my understanding is that the whole reason the ESRB, the age ratings came about is because of backlash against things like Mortal Kombat. You know, like, so the industry is, is fairly good at reacting and, and trying to address concerns of violence. And like, you know, it's as if you look at like the industry as a whole, and I mean, as a whole, including mobile, everything, it may even be that the vast majority of people playing are playing nonviolent games. Candy Crush, nonviolent game. Coin Master, nonviolent game. You know, even things like Clash of Clans and stuff, you know, they're particularly popular. And they're not graphically violent. You know, so so violent nonviolent games are out there. They've been there, they've been there since the beginning. Like as I kind of say in the book, like the very first commercial video game was Pong. It was a game of table tennis. Like it was there was no violence in that. Like um so nonviolent games have been throughout the core of the industry from the beginning and have, and have done things to really kind of change the way the industry goes. I wrote a piece um, a few years back on on the impact of Farmville. Farmville, obviously the original Farmville closed a couple of years back. And the original Farmville, because it became such a huge hit, it didn't invent the mechanics it used, but it really popularized the use of like timers and you know those kind of the user I the UI things where like you know get like stars every time you you uh, harvest your crops and stuff like all the sort of stuff that we you know gifting social things where you gifting your friends or visiting your friends farm the sort of stuff that we see a lot of, in a lot of casual games and free-to-play games etc all that came or was popularized by farmville which was a non-violent game and that's had such an impact on the industry yeah and that that i mean farmville is such a unique case too right because hmm. they also utilized facebook as a as a their platform of choice right that means anyone can get farmville right they just have to log in with their facebook they can start using facebook and i think you know violence in games maybe it's not going down maybe it's less of a focus right we still have violent games but hmm. but i think the bigger concern now is bullying right and like you said yeah. the, the 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 microtransactions like i i give my kid my phone to play some silly game that he runs and turns into more people right and then all of a sudden every th literally like every 15 seconds an ad pops up i'm like how are you even playing this game there's more yeah. ads in there as games and he loves the game and like this is what worries me maybe maybe it's just me now as a father right that look at the industry it's like violence is still a concern but if he turns off video games he's going to turn on marvel to, on the tv right and he's going to see violence there anyway it's this predatory mm. things that are more of like a this is where, in my mind, we have to be worried about in the future. And the next thing is going to be the next thing, right? I mean, our age was violence. The next age was gambling and addiction. The next age will be who knows what. But it's an interesting uh, place to be in. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. Uh, the, risk, the risk of going on a tangent, like I, I've, I'm also a father. I've got um, two. I've got five and seven. And my son has been into video games since he was kind of like oh, three and a half, four. And yeah, that balance of like, well, yeah, okay, what do and don't I think he's, he's safe to play? Like, I, I let him play... Um, Insomniac Spider-Man because it, it's a 16 rated game. He just wants to swing around. He just swings around the city. And if he comes across bad guys, we just run away. We don't show like, cause the, the fighting there, like is visually quite violent. Not like there's no like blood and gore and yeah. broken bones and stuff, but we just run away just to be sure. Cause he wants to, he wants to swing around like Spider-Man. 
my son is going to be devastated. He loves Spider-Man. He doesn't realize that we don't have a PlayStation. Oh. We were an Xbox family. So uh, <laughs> he, he is going to be devastated when he realizes he can't play that game. But we can watch all the. We've been watching clips on uh, YouTube, which is fun because it is a visually beautiful game. And we are very excited about the release of it. It does look excellent. We're um, I, a friend of mine. Like we're, we're basically still hoping that uh, Insomniac basically make a uh, Spider-Man game based on Spidey and his amazing friends yes. from Disney+. Plus. Like, let's get that, let's get that going. That's going to have to be... Uh, who makes all the other games? Who makes the uh, the Peppa Pig game and the uh, Paw Patrol outright, game? Outright, outright games. games. Yeah, yeah. They'll have to make it. I saw they had a DC game. Uh, I like outright <laughs> games. I, I love watching my kids play that. That's how they got started with games. I think it's just so good for kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, my, my, my son, my son's intro to video games was um, Ice Age Scratch Nutty Adventure by Outright nice. Games. And he's still playing that now. He's like, yeah. So, right, slight my, tangent. Sorry. <laughs> we've gone way off topic, but my kid loves Goat Simulator 3. Oh, it don't. Is, yeah. It is my a hilarious game. With it. He loves it. Absolutely loves it. I can, I can tolerate Goat Simulator 3. Goat Simulator 1, I hated yes i agree all we wanted to play for a year play with me it's like why this game is awful i know they have like rocket league in there he's like can you play i'm like no i'm not going to (laughs) um kind of pivoting here right it's been a big news quarter half a year whatever you want to call it at this point between uh unity making their announcements layoffs which continue uh this weekend i read somewhere that ea said the gaming's pulling in 350 billion dollars a year Mm. a lot of it which is mobile related which i think maybe people outside the industry don't realize how much money mobile gaming is truly uh, generating now uh, we also had activision microsoft getting approved uh i think it was this weekend or or late last week it's friday it was friday Friday. i was was in the middle of egx when the uh email came through i'm like oh god no i like i wasn't i was yeah i was at egx but i was it was in my hotel room like i'd literally just woken up and got a text Microsoft, you know, like UK, the CMA has approved MSABK. It's like, oh God, here we go, right? Fire up the laptop, here we go. Um, for news. I, I genuinely felt like a weight had lifted. Um, it was, it was in the afternoon when Microsoft officially announced that they had, they'd completed the deal, and Activision is officially part of Xbox. Um, I, the weight that had lifted because, like, two almost two years of making of, of worrying that I'm going to miss the next step or trying to like waiting particularly the last month or so because like you're waiting for that last final approval to come through it's like when when's it gonna happen when's it gonna, and now it's done do do you think it's as i'm not going to use the word bad do you think it's as is it going to be as big of a deal as people think it is knowing that the next what 10 to 15 years of activision games are going to be on multi-platform anyway um I, well, I mean that that deal that could that concession is not as significant as it seems like it hasn't changed the deal that much like that that concession is like okay so yeah activision games are going to be available on other cloud gaming services for the you know like any any games that are currently available and any release in the next 15 years will be distributed by ubisoft on other cloud gaming services they can still go on game pass they can still you know they can still make stuff exclusive to game pass that's not something they can stop doing they okay they've promised 10 years of call of duty on switch and, and nintendo but 10 years later who knows what they're going to do and you know it's i mean it makes absolutely call of duty was a big kind of um sideshow like it's absolutely makes absolutely no sense at all for microsoft to make call of duty exclusive to xbox that just makes 
no financial sense in any way, particularly given the dominance of PlayStation. Like this, there are a million people who only who only play Call of Duty on their PlayStation. There's a million PlayStation owners who only play Call of Duty. There is no way Microsoft was ever going to do what it did with uh, Starfield, and I think back and forth on confirming that Elder Scrolls Six is going to be exclusive. But what if a Guitar Hero revival is? What if the next Tony Hawk's is? Like none of those are as big as Call of Duty. And um, in terms of the impact this deal is going to have, I honestly don't think we can know. I don't think we can know. Like I doubt it is going to be entirely beneficial for the industry for a company the size of Microsoft to acquire a company the size of Activision Blizzard and then not be an impact on the rest of the industry. Like that's just a very unlikely. It's going to impact competition in some way it might inspire competition perhaps like now that activision's off the you know, out, out of the way like you know people might want to try and make their own corner call of duty competitors i mean no one's managed it in 20 years but why not give it a go yeah i i, I, I mean funnily enough like i've, I've paused mid <laughs> mid feature i'm writing a feature as we were just before speaking to you about kind of reactions to this and talking to analysts, talking to developers, and, and it's mixed. It's mixed. Some are optimistic. Some are like, this is, you know, all this is doing is leveling the playoff, playing field for Xbox because PlayStation and Nintendo are so far ahead. Others are like, this is going to be really devastating for, say, indies on Game Pass. Like, you know, if Call of Duty, if the new Call of Duty is available on a Game Pass every year, why on earth would you play an indie game on it? But then I've had another indie developer say, well, actually, more people playing Call of Duty, more people signing up for Game Pass to play Call of Duty on it means more people that are going to be playing my indie game in between each Call of Duty release. Like, I, it's a copper, but I honestly don't think we can possibly know the implications of the full impact of this deal. There's never been anything like this in games history. So it's impossible to know how this will end up. Yeah, that's well said. I think, you know, playing Starfield now, whether it's multi-platform or not, I don't think Microsoft cares because there's no in-game transactions, right? Mm. Not yet, at least. I think Microsoft realizes they see the success how mobile gamings work by subscription, right? And by continuous passes. Like, I don't see why they would make Call of Duty an Xbox exclusive. It's going to kill the revenue of Call of Duty. It's going to kill what Call of Duty was. Will they still do it to sell Xboxes? Maybe, but I don't think they're going to sell a significant amount of Xboxes by having Call of Duty only when half the people that play it anyway are playing on PlayStation, especially with cross-platform playing now. It's pretty yeah. much seamless on who you're playing anyway. It's, uh, it Call is of, fascinating to see. Call of Duty is, without fail, one of the biggest selling games of every single year and has been for 15, if not 20 years. That is because it is available on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. If it were suddenly to drop PlayStation in particular, given that that is the market-leading console, it would not be the best, biggest selling game of every year and therefore would be a massive chunk of uh, Microsoft's revenues. Now Microsoft's revenue, so like it, just, it, it never made sense for Call of Duty to go exclusive. It didn't. No. But it's going to be fascinating to see what happens because mm. Microsoft owns a lot of interesting IPs now to see what, what they can if they can actually build that that first party killer app to start mm. attacking back at PlayStation. It would be an exciting time to see. Other news, right? I mean, Unity's been happening. Layoffs are happening everywhere. Um, I, I know you, you mentioned some companies already through our conversation here that, that have been affected by, by layoffs like Team 17 who make Overcooked and stuff like that. What, I mean, what's your take on why EA is reporting a, a massive $350 billion year and companies are having layoffs? Is it all COVID related? Uh, yes and no. It's um, Basically, when, when COVID happened and pandemic happened, um, it's, it's no secret that the, the industry 
benefited from this. There's no there's no polite way of saying it. like you know, the industry was boosted by the fact that every suddenly everyone had to spend their time at home. You know, the amount of people that bought consoles in like the opening weeks of the lockdown measures, the amount of people who spent more money on their mobile games, etc. Like people needed entertainment and video games are, you know, really good forms of entertainment when you're stuck at home. Investors got really excited about this, like all the you know the the, the money people, the money men, um, you know, started pouring more and more capital into the games industry. That allowed companies to expand, you know, drastically. I, mean, I can't remember which company I was talking to, but one of them has like expanded from like 120 people to 300 people within the space of like two three years. And now that the market's calming down and investors aren't as quick to pour money into it, and debt is more expensive, and all these kind of macroeconomic factors. The, the market is realigning. It's a correction. It's a it's a correction. It's a very uncomfortable correction. But I mean, even uncomfortable is, is underselling it. You know, you've seen, I think it's 6,100 jobs in the games sector alone have been affected so far this year. Um, tens of thousands more. If you look into the broader tech sector, like, you know, uh, Microsoft and Amazon and Google, like it's it's beyond, unfortunately, it's, it's just, it's a horrible reality of the industry is that like every time there's a massive sudden period of growth, companies have to kind of slim down a streamline and the human cost of that is just devastating. I mean, it's, you know, all these are publicly traded companies. They have to kind of assure their, their shareholders that they're, they're keeping things lean, you know, as, as money becomes an issue and as, as the, you know, the, the global, the global economic scene becomes a lot more uncertain um it's it's awful to see i hate reporting on layoffs um the only silver lining i ever get is i hope that you know like you always see loads of studios like on twitter on social media on linkedin etc like anyone affected please drop us a line we've got a bunch of vacancies we'd really keep, be keen to help people out and then occasionally you obviously get like people who have been laid off band together and form a new studio and that studio goes on to do awesome things um it's awful that it takes layoffs to get to that stage but um yeah, we're we're in a period of market realignment at this point, market correction. Um, I'm I'm just really hoping it slows down soon and and just normalizes. Yeah, it's a good point on the uh, kind of alignment of, of people who might start new studios or go to go to some indie studios, right? That means there is a lot of talent out there right now hmm. that's available, and hopefully they can find homes at, at studios where they can make an impact, make a difference, take their learnings of bigger AAA studios and, and bring them down to smaller studios. I think that's a great, great point and maybe a silver lining in all this. Uh, if you if you were going to start your own video game company right now, um, where would you put your focus on building a game? Is it, I guess, this is a bad question. I probably don't want to ask here, but is it focus going to be more on kind of, again, a community? Is it going to be on the game itself? Is it going to be on sound and visuals? Are you going to go mobile? Are you going to go... Yeah, this question is probably has too big of an answer that I'm not really sure how you answer that. But like, with all that money in gaming, why, why do you think AAA studios are still making games on on console rather than focusing on mobile? Oh. it might be too loaded of a question. No, it's no, it's an issue. I'm sort of trying to work out which part of it to answer first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, why are, why are AAA games um, still making uh, games for console and mobile? Because mobile is incredibly competitive. Because you could pour hundreds of thousands of, uh, sorry, you could pour millions, hundreds of millions of do dollars into making like this incredible AAA game. Especially now that um, 
uh, mobiles are starting to catch up with the hardware of consoles. We saw this with the iPhone 15 Pro, the fact that it's going to be able to run Assassin's Creed Mirage and Resident Evil Village, things like that natively, like not streamed. That will be downloaded onto your phone and run natively. Like you could do that, but the, the audience is just not there. Like the monetization is not there. The mobile market has been so pushed towards free to play and very, 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 very cheap games. You cannot justify spending blockbuster budgets on a mobile game because you'll never recoup that cost even if you do like kind of microtransactions and so forth like the the you still there'd still need to be a price of entry we're starting to see some exceptions things like genshin impact genshin impact could be classed as a triple a game that's done really really well that's free to download that's it's brilliant game like i've played a fair amount of it but yeah i I think AAA developers still want to. There's enough of the traditional games industry that want to kill, continue producing traditional games experiences. And for that, you need a console, you need a PC, because people are invested in that device. People, people have bought that device, and then you buy that title, and you have, you have before you've even opened the game, you have invested enough money and and time into it that you're like i'm going to give this a fair shake mobile games you download it takes seconds to download maybe obviously maybe resident evil village won't but mobile games take only barely a minute to download you open it up and if it's not hooked you within that first minute of play you delete it you don't even think about it it's just it doesn't bother you the premium game market sadly on mobile has really dried up there are some still out there doing it well enough but convincing people to buy a mobile game in the face of so many free-to-play alternatives. And mobile gaming, like, the, just the form factor, the, the nature of mobile gaming. Mobile gaming is something we do around everything else. You play, you know, you play a quick game of Russell or, you know, Candy Crush while you're watching the telly or while you're on the bus or while you're waiting for your train to arrive or, like, you dip in and out of mobile games, whereas AAA games you sit and you dedicate time to. People don't dedicate their time to mobile games in the same way, which is why developers can't, make those sort of experiences and that's even without getting into like the whole controls i know you can bluetooth a controller to your phone or you can get one of those like cradle things that snap onto it but the vast majority of people play one-handed with your thumb and most games don't lend themselves to that yeah uh, it's great great insight and i think it also with the mobile games right it also taps on different uh different age groups as well right mm. i mean my mom will pick up a game and play sudoku on her phone or something like that but she's not gonna pick up an xbox controller and start playing yeah. even if Sudoku's on the xbox she's not gonna do that i think the form fact and it's it's fascinating that you mentioned the competition right which is obvious because if i don't like one match three i just download another match three but mm. it's funny to think about the cost of a triple a game on an Xbox and PlayStation and PC versus the cost of a mobile game and how much money each of them bring in. And I think that's what also makes this Microsoft deal as going back to that kind of fascinating because when all of a sudden I don't have to pay for the remake of Tony Hawk, hopefully three and four, because it's <laughs> on Game Pass, right? Like why? how are they going to fund the next ones and how are they going to mm-hmm. do the next ones, right? It's, it's an interesting oh, the, time for gaming. The value pr- proposition of video games is changing so much at the moment with you. Know, obviously, we've had the, the rise of free-to-play and you've even got free-to-play on, on consoles now. But yeah, the rise of subscriptions, the way that Microsoft is pushing for subscriptions. And it's it's not just games, it's it's wider entertainment. Like, you know, the subscription model has trained all of us to kind of expect access to a vast library of content for a you know relatively cheap fee per month. You know, no one buys not no one. I imagine DVD sales and Blu-ray sales have taken a hit because people just sign up to Netflix or um, you know, Disney Plus. You know, people 
you know, I know plenty of people who don't buy books because they've got Kindle Unlimited. You know, people, how many people buy albums nowadays because they can just look up the, the music on Spotify? Uh, you know, it's subscriptions in and streaming have disrupted every other form of entertainment to the point where people just expect access and convenience rather than ownership. And I, you know, I'm still of a generation that I would prefer ownership. I, I, I prefer to own the things that I've got because you never know when that thing is going to be pulled from the service you're subscribed to. You don't own anything that you have access to there. But yeah, no, but enough people are shifting towards that model. And the assumption is that that's going to that's gonna be where video games go. But I think there are enough differences with video games, both in terms of budget and the expense of them and the way that people engage with them. You know, people, you know, you people binge TV series and stuff on Netflix. So that justifies, you know, you can binge like so many different series on Netflix and so many different films within a year that you more than more than make up your monthly fee. Some people only play one or two games a year. So actually, $70 times two or three is all they need to spend. Like they don't need to spend, you know, I, I'm i on Game Pass, genuinely considering whether or not I'll re-subscribe because I don't play enough games on it. I've got enough in my backlog going on. And you look like, yeah, there's something like 300, 400 games on Game Pass. I've probably played 15, 20. You know, it's, am I getting the most out of that service? It's, it, it's different. It comes down to everyone's, different perspective it's also i mean i can speak from the tv perspective just fatigue kicks mm. in right like which oh, streaming yeah. service do i need to open up to to get this like uh, in the states right i was watching thursday night football last weekend it's on amazon prime like who thinks to launch amazon prime to start watching live tv when i have yeah. youtube tv and i have everything it's just like all right i don't know where to go it's and again it goes it goes to the whole macroeconomic climate like people are tightening the belt people are looking at what subscriptions they are going to cut down on and, you know, i'll be honest we're looking at dropping we've got um sky tv sky's you know, our cable tv we're going to drop that because we spend most time watching disney plus and netflix we can justify those because we use them enough but we don't justify sky how many people can justify playing um paying a game subscription when there's so many free free alternatives or you buy a call of duty and it lasts you a year if you're that sort of player you know but the amount of people playing fortnite you know kids playing fortnite they only play fortnite you know, they don't need a subscription. They don't need other games. Like, you know, game subscriptions aren't a, a guaranteed success. Like, I think there's a lot going on here that, that raises to questions of whether or not subscriptions can take off and disrupt the games industry that the way that they did the uh, all other forms of entertainment. I know. It seems like Microsoft's giving it their best try. And yeah. For, as an Xbox player, I hope it works out, but we'll see where that goes. <laughs> I don't want to keep you for much longer. And I know you got a busy day here. One of my last questions I have for you is anywhere from one to three, you, you can pick your number here from an experience perspective. Like you launched the game and it's just like, wow, what are the top three games this year that have really like blown you out of the water? Number three, I'm going to give a shout out to this game called Deceive Incorporated. This scratches a very particular itch for me. Do you remember the um, multiplayer for Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? I briefly remember it. it was okay. a... So there's a brilliant multiplayer game where you are all, you all pick a character. There are clones of that character who are NPCs in the level, and you've got to work out which of the clones are your are the enemy players and assassinate them. And if you assassinate an NPC that's not an enemy player, it just disappears. Deceiving Corporate is like that, but better because it's um it's very kind of spy themed it's a heist and you're basically you're all disguised as, as npcs you half of you are on a team 
who are trying to pull off some sort of heist, half of you the guards who are trying to work out which NPCs are the human characters. The guards and heist, you know, thieves can all kind of scan any NPC you walk past and change your disguise at any moment. It's a brilliant kind of stealth and social deduction game. I absolutely adore it. It's brilliant. Number two, I would say Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I am barely three hours into it, but I love it. I um, I had no interest before people went absolutely nuts about it at launch. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give this a go. And I, honestly, after years and years of my colleagues trying to get me into D&D, I think be it Baldur's Gate 3 might be the one that does it because those little dice roll, like mini, not mini games, but like, you know, the little dice rolls, like actually showing you the dice and letting you kind of influence it with your, your bonuses and so forth, rather than just, a small box, a text box, someone saying, oh, you rolled this, really opens up the idea of, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand what's making my choices. So I'm really keen to get more into that. Number one, hands down, Tears of the Kingdom. I am absolutely loving the new Zelda game. I'm a Nintendo fan. I'm always going to love the new Nintendo game. Breath of the Wild was amazing. I'm a bit more of a traditionalist 3D Zelda fan, so I I wasn't sure about Breath of the Wild to begin with, but I recognize it's incredible. Tears of the King is like that and so much more. I don't want it to end. I've been playing it since launch. I've I've put about 70 hours into it. I've only done three of the main areas on the surface. And I don't want to finish it because I want it's like, well, yeah, but okay, now I'll go and do this bit. Now I'll do this bit. No, I haven't done enough shrines yet. And I haven't done I haven't done enough of the depths. And um I love it. Absolutely love it. Amazing game. Awesome. Yeah. I I've heard great things about Baldur's great. I've heard great things about Zelda clearly. So I'm gonna look up Deceive Incorporated. It sounds like a fun game. So I, I appreciate that. That's a great list. I think that's all I have for you, James. I, I appreciate you coming on and learning about the industry. Is there anything you want to just talk about or plug? Uh no, I, 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 if I may just briefly plug my book again, uh, The Best Nonviolent Video Games is available uh, from retailers uh, in hardback and in uh, ebook form. Uh, you can find links to buy at, I've actually got a website for, I've published a couple of fiction books as well. Um, so it's jamesbatchelor.me. Uh, there are links to buy the book there and uh, a couple of other books I've got. I've um, published two books. One is Wandless. It's an urban fantasy novella about a witch on the run. Um, she's escaped from a prison camp. It's kind of Harry Potter if the muggles found out that witches and wizards live among them and put them in nice prisons. And then Blow the House Down is an action-packed fate take on fairy tales. And it's what happens when you sit in a room with your wife and your sister who are watching Once Upon a Time and think, I wish this had more gunfights. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we'll have all of James' information as well as information to his book uh, and gamesindustry.biz on our Player Engage website. We'll talk about it. I really do appreciate hearing your insight in the industry, James. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening today. And be sure to join us next week when we have Renj Chong from Breeder Dow join us. Thanks again. And have a great rest of your day.